Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is Shareable, the podcast so good, you got to tell someone about it. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. In every episode, I talk with someone about the impact that people and technology have had on their career and their lives. So, let's get to it. Today's guest is Dr. Timory Schmidt. This conversation was an absolute blast. I think you're going to love it. Timory is a doctor of human sexuality education, and she takes a rational, sex-positive, and empirically-based knowledge approach to sexuality. She's currently an adjunct professor, a guest lecturer, a writer, and a consultant. She also hosts a podcast called Sex with Timory that covers a wide range of topics and features amazing and entertaining guests whose lives and professions touch on sexuality. It was named one of the top sex podcasts by Daily Dot, BuzzFeed, and iTunes. Her weekly column, Timory's Body, appears in Philly Weekly and Philly Now, and her sexuality advice column runs twice monthly at philly.com. Really hope you enjoy this episode. I had a blast recording it, and I think Timory did as well. At least that's my understanding. Uh, please tune in. Please listen, and please share it, because this episode is shareable. Welcome back to Shareable. You're listening to the smooth sounds of Jeff Gibbard's voice, which I know you've been waiting all week for. Today, I have a very special guest, someone that is unlike anyone that's been on the show, and I assume unlike anyone that will be on the show in the future, unless she comes back. So, person on the other end of the line right now, who are you and what do you do? Hi, uh, I'm Dr. Timmery Schmidt. Um, I do a lot of stuff, actually. So um... That's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> so my, uh, my sort of like Matt Murdock side is that I'm a sexuality educator. So I teach human sexuality on the collegiate and graduate level. I do a lot of sexuality education using media. So I have a podcast called Sex with Timory. I am a writer for Philly Weekly. I'm in charge of Philly's uh, LGBT reporting. Um, that is, that's actually a new gig. I've been writing for Philly Weekly for a long time, but the LGBT focus is a recent upgrade. Um, I also have a, so that's my Matt Murdock side. I also have a daredevil side, which is that I also do a lot of nightlife promotion and events and community organizing in burlesque. So it's a uh, queer performance art. It's, it's largely women. Um, and that's, that comprises, uh, a system that I call burlesque Adelphia. So, there are shows every single night of the week in Philly. Um, and I don't know that everybody knows that, but if you want to go see burlesque on a Tuesday, you can do that. So, um, I do a lot of stuff and, uh, they're all, they're all related in my opinion. Ah, uh, you had me at Matt Murdoch and daredevil that <laughs> you just, you just tickled my heartstrings because I am a comic book nerd. Yeah. So I very much appreciate that. Okay, well, Timory, I want to ask you some questions to get uh, things rolling because I want to know about how you use technology because, as you know, this show is about technology and people. And before I can actually ask you about technology in your life, I need to know who I'm talking to so that I can come from a place of confidence. So let's start. Uh, are you an early adopter, a late adopter, or somewhere in between? How do you relate to technology? What usually makes sense for me is that 
I hang around people who are early adopters and I see how it goes for them. And a lot of stuff uh, ends up working out. And so then I get it when it's cheaper and the bugs are worked out. Oh and then when the God, things that's that, hilarious. And then when the things go terribly, you know, like your your you know phone explodes all the time, like then I know not to get that phone. Um, I do have one thing that I was an early adopter on, and that is that I got in on the beta testing of this uh, phone company, and I pay fifteen dollars a month for unlimited everything. <laughs> and that's like the one thing I got in on, like early. But otherwise, I yeah, I'm surrounded by people who have much newer technology than I. I'm going to call you an early adopter by proxy, but okay. uh, that's that's how I'm going to categorize it because it sounds like you're kind of in the middle, but you're like, I'm willing to go in any direction if there's good evidence to support. It's more like uh, I am interested in knowing about it, but not uh, interested in the risk of it. So I want to be aware but, uh, I also, you know, like I held on to VHS for way longer than made sense too. So there's just, you know, there's a little bit of just comfort in sticking with what, you know, even though it's a demonstrably bad idea. So. All right. Fair. All right. On a scale of one to 10, where would you rate yourself as a technologist? Are you someone that would be completely fluent at a 10 or somebody who can barely find their way around their smartphone at a one? Oh man, that's so relative. Cause like I am again, surrounded by a lot of people who are super like switched with all this stuff. And so that's their whole job. And so in contrast, I feel like an 80 year old, but, uh, in contrast to other people, my age, I feel like I'm probably still relatively hip to it. So, uh, I guess, um, wait, what was the scale again? Which one, one which one? Ten. So 10 being like, you're totally with it. One, you're not. All right. I'm going to say like, a. Seven five. <laughs> I, so why I like that question, I've asked it to a lot of people at this point. And what I like about the question is, it is a completely subjective thing, and yes, it is entirely relative. So you could you could say relative to where you want to be with technology. That could be your one to ten. It could be relative to your close circle of friends, which could be luddites, or it could be you know epic level geeks. So I always find it interesting. It's a completely subjective question how you choose to define yourself as a technologist. So. I think it's interesting that those are the kind of uh, permutations you went to in your head before before landing on a seven and a half. Yeah, like I'm like I want to know about it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna let y'all work out the bugs and then I'll buy the products when it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fair. Uh, next one: If you go online, what are you most likely to do out of these four options? And assuming, of course, that most people do a little bit of each, but are you more likely to create content, curate content, comment on content, or just sit passively and watch? And I know oh God, it's not the, sit passively and watch. <laughs> the last one I've never done. In fact, I just I just have to say from the beginning, I it took me a while to be aware that that even existed. Um, I have been creating content on the internet for forever. Like I was on blogs back in the late '90s, you know, like and and that sort of thing. So um, creating for a long time, I do curating for Sex with Timory a lot because it's just collecting news around the world related to sexuality and then posting it. But most of what I do is content creation. And it took me a really long time to realize that there were even folks who just interact with social media by just taking it in and, and not even interacting with it. That, that is so foreign to me, but I, I mean, I'm interacting with those people on the regular. I was just unaware that they were there, (laughs) but then some of my friends are like, 
um, you know, I run into him and I'm like, Hey, how you been? And here's this latest thing that I've done. And they're like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, how do you know? They're like, you posted about it. I'm like, you didn't say anything. <laughs> like, I just didn't even know you were on Facebook. I didn't even know you were on Twitter. Like, and they're like, yeah, I just don't ever interact with it. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So there's this book called Groundswell that I kind of pulled this concept from called Social Technographics. And, and it identifies these seven different behaviors. And like you, I'm very much a creator. And even when I'm spectating, I'm often either interacting with it, being inspired by it to create something else. So, and, and as I'm a blaring extrovert and uh, I don't know where you would place yourself on the extrovert introvert, but you've always seemed very outgoing and, you know, gregarious and out there to me. So um, I can imagine it would be just as foreign to you as, as it was to me that people actually just quietly watch things. That's a thing. Yeah, but that's definitely what my uh, analytics tell me too, because uh, when I keep track of like, who has seen this post, um, how many people have have looked at this thing, watched this video, et cetera, the numbers are so staggeringly different than the number of people who commented on it. Um, and that that has always been true. And that's a thing that I learned a long time ago. I used to write for Mark Lamont Hill's blog back in the day. Um, it used to be called barbershop notebooks and now he's a famous TV person. Um, he's got, he was on Huffington post live. Anyway, that's not the point. Um, he was explaining to me, like, it's okay when you put up a post and like, there's two comments. Cause I can see how many people read it and we would like more community engagement on everything. But you know, just because there's a crazy long thread with a lot of people arguing, doesn't mean that that was the most popular thread. Yep. And, and I think that, um, the most popular <clears throat> thread, yeah. kind of that, that hopeless, chase for engagement that so many brands go through. It's actually counter to what the data shows is that the majority of people actually are just quiet lurkers or, you know, potentially they might comment on something, but in general, they're, they're just going to passively watch. That's the most common yeah. behavior. So it's kind of interesting yes. that uh, that's the case. And, and you are known for stirring things up, which we'll get to uh, in a minute. Uh, last question to get to know you on the technology side. Are you an iPhone or an Android? I am an Android user. Mm. I have no... I have no particular like affiliation. Like I don't have a strong preference um, necessarily. I, I see the upsides of both, but uh, that aforementioned $15 a month unlimited uh, data and phone plan requires an Android. So. All right. Fair. Can't hold it against you. Well, yeah. um, you know, as I, as I said earlier in the show, and like when we, we briefly talked about this, this show is about the impact that people and technology have on us, because I believe that all of us, no matter what walk of life we're from or job title, whatever, we're impacted by people in our lives and they forever change our direction. And the same way technology enables opportunities or destroys opportunities, which create new opportunities. So you have a particularly interesting life from what I see online. You're in a lot of different places. My girlfriend loves your dance class. And yeah, she does. She talks about it all the time. It's like her favorite thing. But she really does. And you're one of my favorite people to follow on Facebook because you walk headfirst into the shitstorm lion's den of social media commentary and stir things up sometimes intentionally, sometimes just expressing yourself and willing to engage in that back and forth. And you do it with a level of um, intellect and at the same time, compassion at the same time, just pure like evisceration of people sometimes. Uh, that, <laughs> That's really just a wonderful combo for me. So, you know, I, I see you as someone who, you know, you're, you're so fascinated with people and especially with your, your perspective on LGBT and all of the various choices that people make that they have the right to make and things like that, that I thought you'd be a particularly interesting person to come on here. So the first place I want to go with you is to talk to you about how technology has impacted your life. And from what I see, you 
you have a lot of things that you want to make happen in the world and a lot of conversations you want to lead. And along comes all of this technology and you've been involved with the blogging from the beginning, you're in podcasting, you're known kind of widely. How would you say that technology has changed your life, but more importantly, how is it currently impacting your ability to do what you think is your purpose in life? I think that it, it is how I do my job. When when I grew up, I was in a very, very small town in the Midwest, and there was no one like me, exactly. I mean, I had friends. Like, there are people that I like uh, and care very deeply about who are who are still there in that um you know, that isn't to say that they're bad people, just that they're different than I am. And I more specifically, I was different than they are. And so it was super important to me to find uh, connections to other queer people, to other very openly sexual people, to other folks who are really interested in politics and finding out about cultures that are not the only one you've experienced. And the only way to do that as a kid is through media, because you don't get to just like pack up and be like, mom, I'm going to just go like fly to Southeast Asia for a little bit and like learn about some shit. <laughs> so, you know, as a kid, you, you're sort of, uh, if you have access to independent media and some movies, et cetera, that, that show you other ways of, of being, you can find other opportunities for who you can be. And that was critical as, as a kid for me. And now as an adult, it is, it is the primary way that I interact with other people. I can do classroom teaching and I love doing classroom teaching, but the, the classroom only holds so many people. And there's a great deal of privilege involved in being able to go to grad school and be able to take a, uh, a graduate level course in human sexuality from me. But on the other hand, I can write for Philly Weekly. I can do my my Sex with Summary podcast. I can just throw some stuff on Facebook and it's free. And we can have an exchange of ideas with anyone on the planet who has also access to the internet. But um, and, and largely the conversations are in English. But uh, still, that's that's still the, the primary means of talking to people. I have a very good friend who's a criminologist. And he says that it's, a, it's an interesting thing that uh, all of his publications are in journals that are going to be read by maybe a dozen people, he thinks. And he's like, I put in years and years and years into that article that maybe 12 people will read. And you have to crank out a thing every week, but, you know, thousands of people will read it. And it's just um, so powerful in that way. And it's it's obviously shifting now. The economics of media are constantly shifting and the the financial solvency of being a person who writes and gets paid for it uh, is a very interesting thing at this time. But um, without it, without the internet, I, I'm a dance teacher who does burlesque. Yeah. So and even then, I'm not sure I could do those things without the internet. Well, you certainly wouldn't have the cachet to, to uh, you know, be as well known as you are, because I think a lot of the awareness of, of Timory and, and what you do uh, comes from all these other media-related channels that you participate in. But you said something that I want to really dance around on. Um, it, you you have these channels online where you put out an idea, and it's something that you know maybe somebody might get in one of your classes, but you're able to open up that conversation by putting it online. And, and having witnessed your Facebook feed for some time now and um, seeing how that goes, I want to ask you about this exchange of ideas idea, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it. 
do you think that we're actually being productive anymore online with these exchange of ideas? Or are yeah. we just divulging into this? We're either talking to our uh, to people that believe what we believe, or we're or we're talking to uh, we're shouting at people who will never convince anyway. Do you think there's a productive value in this exchange of ideas anymore? Because lately I've begun to get a little disheartened with it. And you seem to have a little bit of an ironclad spirit to keep going back into that den. So I'm hoping you can kind of bring me out of my slump about this. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you feel about these channels and our ability to exchange ideas and, and see each other as humans? Absolutely. So you are you're completely correct in noticing that there are super unproductive conversations online. There are many, many bubbles in which people just are like, yep, 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 to each other. And then there are also just like shouting matches because you over there, a person I don't know, IRL, uh, represent to me everything about what I consider the other side. And those those conversations happen constantly, and those are not necessarily super useful. Um, there is there is still a great deal of fertile ground uh, aside from that, though. And it requires all of us to have a, a change in approach to those conversations. So I've been doing a, a project on Facebook intermittently less so lately because there's just there's just a lot of um negativity and hostility that i think deserves this space and deserves a little bit of time um but this project is called uh make the internet great for once <laughs> so migfo is the is the hashtag and it's all about uh what we individually can do to make online conversations more useful and it starts from taking personal responsibility for having a more diverse uh sort of uh sources uh having a greater variety of inputs than just what you already agree with um and not reading things that you disagree with for the point of arguing with them but to find common ground to have conversations with people that you disagree with for the purposes of finding out what you have in common, because what these arguments really are is that there, there definitely is a lot of, and increasingly so people having false information <laughs> and, and acting as though that is a perfectly valid argument. Um, that even though I don't have proof of this thing, even though there is evidence that I am factually wrong. Um, my worldview says that I should continue to believe this thing. And so I will. And that is very, very problematic. And that is not just specific to any political party. Um, if we're not being very cautious of our sources and we're not being deliberate in making sure that what we post is real and we actually do a little bit of background work and make sure, is this, is this source reliable? Um, did they accurately capture what happened or is it presented in a clickbaity way so that I will, you know, just link to it immediately? Um, it's a, it's about media literacy skills and it's about being cognizant of, uh, logical errors that we make in debates all the time. There are some phenomenal resources online that are just like your logical fallacy is. That's my favorite one. It's actually called your logical fallacy is. And it, it'll it talk about straw man arguments, which are super prevalent, which is when I'm not actually trying to understand what you're saying, and I just want to argue with you. So I misrepresent your argument. And I set that up as though, you know, let's, let's just 
take any random example. So let's just say that you're like, um, abortion because you know, why not? And so if I want to make a straw man argument of the, um, pro-choice perspective, I'll say, y'all don't care about babies. Okay. Literally didn't say anything about babies. <laughs> Literally didn't say, I don't care. Uh, you're clearly not listening to me. Um, and so that's a really easy way to not have to actually engage to, to never have to do any thinking about your own position. Um, so instead what I challenge everyone to do is enter every conversation with the expectation. You don't know everything. And the other person you're talking to is probably a good person and their values are probably not wholly different than yours. They just have a different set of uh, foci for their priorities. So like what is most important to me might be freedom um, and breaking down oppression. And for somebody else, what's most important to them is like their version of freedom and protecting the people closest to them. And we, we all have these shared values. Ultimately, everybody wants to have autonomy. Everybody, pretty much everybody wants fairness for people. Most people want the planet to be healthy. Most people want good things to happen to others. Um, it just shakes out differently when it gets wrapped up in the, in the marketing of companies and political parties. So let me so, ask you this. Let me, let me take all of that and then package it a certain way and throw it back in your court. So awesome. the origin of all of this social technology to me was a beautiful kumbaya moment of everyone now has a voice. And that means that we can democratize ideas and we can democratize the voice about brands, about governments, about politics, about everything. And the more of us that come together and formulate around an idea, the more power that we have. And that was, to me, somewhat of a beautiful thing. And I thought that the idea of all of this technology was that it gave us the ability to communicate one-to-one -one as well as one-to-many. And if we were being authentic and real about it and showing off our flaws and showing off our, our good side or bad side, it allows us to appreciate others as human and break down those walls of racial divides and religious divides because we're all meeting in this virtual space to exchange ideas, which should be a meritocracy of ideas, right? So that was the, the original idea as I saw it, okay? But what I've noticed is that the digital space, unlike the physical space, creates a lack of empathy because the person isn't a person. There are a series of ones and zeros and digits and pixels. So while as my best friend is on the opposite side of the political spectrum for me, he and I can sit down over drinks, over coffee, over just the phone, and we can talk about world issues and we can respect and appreciate one another because we already have that basis of respect. Whereas in the open technology world, these are these are avatars. These aren't real people as as we perceive them because we can't see their facial expressions. We can't see when we troll them or when we say horrible things that it hurts their feelings. So there's a there's a real lack of empathy there, and it seems to be trending in the wrong direction where people are getting nastier and nastier from from my point of view. The second piece that you mentioned about the validity of of your factual information, the basis of your claims. Well, um, we can all agree that that's something that is obviously very hot in the news to to acknowledge and to look at and to see um, that there there are sources that are sharing information that is factually invalid. But at the same time, a lot of the sources that we looked at as uh, being valid in the first place are now not being seen as valid by some people. And as a result, it means that 
the, the source of your information is now in question. So what we've got is this kind of shit cocktail of people who lack empathy and see everybody that doesn't agree with them as the other. They are clinging to a set of facts that they believe and they believe have actual basis in fact. And the only sources to disprove them are the sources they don't trust because it's the other mm-hmm. side and have their own set of quote unquote facts, which I think we can agree that there's such a thing as objective facts. So you've got all of these different things. I guess the question I come back to, and this is um, kind of what I want to bat around a little bit and throw back in your court is, is this something that we can actually work out in technology or is that the answer we have to actually start meeting people in person again and having these debates and these conversations in real life so that we can see one another as humans? Well, there's there's a there's an ongoing thing with technology throughout history, which is that technology is always being accused of taking us away from our humanity. That has been the argument against it since the telephone, telegraph, <laughs> like that having written newspapers would would make people stop sitting around and talking to each other. And so we have to look at the reality, which is that technology does actually increase the number of people we can talk to. Um, and I am able to have an ongoing conversation with my partner, like all day while I'm doing other stuff. I can talk to my friends who live in other countries, like all day, et cetera. Um, the face-to-face piece is important for being able to hammer out nuanced emotional conversations, but, um, we actually can get a lot from just approaching a conversation by asking the question, is this what you mean? And having a conversation online where I use active listening techniques, which is what we use in like relationship therapy, which is to make sure that I am hearing what you meant and saying back to you, what I heard was this, is that true? And that's something that can get us through fights with our loved ones. And it can also be what we use to make sure that I'm not straw manning all the time. And so it's a really easy way to show, um, empathy to another person. Like I'm actually trying to listen to you. Um, and it's also a good way to show that you're intelligent and capable of understanding because a lot of the arguments that I end up, uh, having online with someone who I get told, why are you wasting your time on that person? They're not listening to you. They're, they're not going to change their mind. I'm like, I know they're not going to, that's not the point. This is a public space and we are sharing these perspectives. And what I'm doing is showing everybody who's reading this thread, the people we talked about before who don't interact with the page, they just read it. They don't comment. They don't like it. I'm showing all of those people, um, all of the facts that I have, all of the arguments that I've come up with, and they can compare, uh, from, from what's happening on my side, which is I'm saying, all right, is this what, is this what your perspective is? Okay. Well, here's what the data says. Here's what the evidence says. Um, and then they can come back with whatever their reaction is. And everybody who's at home reading it can weigh, which of these sides makes more sense to me. And if you just want to pick the side that reiterates what you already believe, I can't really help you, but all internet conversations, I think are, uh, are best approached from a sort of at least political ones, or we're trying to change people's minds are are best approached from a a harm reduction model. So a harm reduction model of, uh, health education is something where we're going to meet people where they are and just slightly move them along the spectrum. So harm reduction in, uh, health initiatives might be you're addicted to heroin. All right. Well, I can't get you to stop today, 
but I am going to make you uh, have access to clean needles. So at least you don't get HIV in the process, right? And then the next step might be uh, maybe you do it less often. And the next thing might be maybe, you know, whatever. We just keep moving you along the spectrum towards better and better behaviors. And the same thing can be done with political stuff. On one end of the spectrum, you have the trolley troll troll shows who are literally there just to antagonize people. And that exists in real life too. There are just bullies in the world. Uh, the internet does make it easier because it's anonymous. Um, but those people exist and that's a real thing. Best case scenario, we move them slightly to, uh, less antagonistic. They're just doing that less often. And then we can start getting people further and further along. And for somebody who is just adamant that their worldview is correct and they're just not going to listen to anybody, the best we can do is at least get them to acknowledge, um, what I actually am. Even if we disagree, at least you understand what my perspective is. That might be the next step. And then from there, you might start entertaining the idea that, okay, there might be something to be said for my side. There might be evidence that I have suggested climate change is real. And here's it. But at some point you might be like, well, okay, there, that might be a little bit of evidence. Yeah, okay. And then we just move everybody along further and further to a... To, closer and closer towards being committed to, um, factual information and really thinking from a compassionate and actually, uh, um, perspective so that we're thinking about how does this exist in history and across time and, and based on who the people are involved, how has, uh, capitalism, how have systems of oppression shaped the way that this conversation, uh, has, has developed for us? Like, we get we get these pieces bit by bit as we can, um, but again, I feel like, like you're more optimistic about it than I am, which I, I appreciate. I have to be. Yeah, and, and that's I great. I just I really appreciate that because um, it's very easy to stare into, especially because social media is my business professionally. That's what I do. I work with businesses on this, and so I spend a lot of time there, probably an inordinate more time than the average human being does. And I'm I'm analyzing it constantly from multiple perspectives and. I, I often, having gone into it bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, uh, find myself getting more and more disheartened by how angry and vitriolic it has become and how uh, little we find ourselves listening to one another when I thought that was going to be the prime uh, feature of, of this new technology is that we're going to get to finally see each other for what we are. Um, and then it just moves more towards polished uh, perspectives of, of here's what my life looks like through the filtered lens. Uh, or you know, here's us arguing either against people that will never convince or into our own echo chamber. So it's, well, it's nice that you're thinking about the, the step-by-step potential to move things along. That's, I mean, that just comes from being an educator. That's, that's my background. So like my master's is in education and human sexuality, my PhD is in sexuality education. So it's specifically on how do people learn and then how do we have, we have all this information over here. How do I present it in a way so that it's meaningful to you and you can integrate it into your memory and then apply it into real life? So if I don't believe that people can be better, if I don't believe that people can learn, um, like my whole life is a facade, right? <laughs> but I have seen it. I see on a daily basis, life, uh, life changing through education, um, and that, that's not just the fact that like somebody comes into my intro to role play class and they clearly are there because 
they they're they're giving this a shot because they don't know what else to do. And and we end up having this really interesting workshop where we talk about communicating about our desires and how do we tell someone what we want and how do we tell them um, how what what we don't want and 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 how do we bravely do these things and how do we compassionately empathetically do these things and we come out on the other side uh with with a whole renewal of commitment and like a, a a tool bag and it's up to them if they use it or not but i've seen it when they do i see it over and over and over again if we can present people with information in a way that they can swallow it and they can integrate it into their existing framework it is game changing and if i didn't see it day in and day out i wouldn't think that it was a real thing but um, even just in dance class, I mean, you, you spoke earlier, your, your partner, um, like that can be a game changer for people just to find a workout that they love that can be a life changer. And what is a workout, but a, a way of learning how to move. So I have to believe in, in the potential of people, uh, if for no other reason, than I have the evidence that it works. So I want to uh, talk to you a bit about how you formulated your life perspective in this, because you strike me as one of the more empathetic people I've encountered in my world. You seem very open to letting people be who they are with without much judgment, um, though I'm sure some people test that limit. But you, you are a very empathetic person. You're a very open person. And um, you know I think just even the lifestyles that, that you know are possible would be an eye-opening experience to many of the people listening to this show. But I want to talk to you. You mentioned that you grew up um, uh, in the in the Midwest, correct? Yep. Yeah. So, how did you come across this? How did you become this Timory? Like, what were who were the people that influenced <laughs> you to believe that you could live your life this way? I mean, you unless you had another Timory like figure in your life, I'm curious how you went about growing as a person. That the people that influenced you along the way. And specifically, if you could tell me about uh, somebody in your life that that kind of opened your eyes to something, I think that would be really interesting. Oh, okay. Well, um, I was very fortunate to be raised by two educators, and that that was very, very, very uh, instrumental. Um, my mom was the first person who introduced me to a lot of culture. Um, she's a theater person, so that was that was her conduit through which she would teach me about things. And also she just had a billion books in her house. That was super helpful to me because I was just reading textbooks and, um, you know, Greek myths and then romance novels, just whatever. I would just, I would just take in a lot of that stuff. I was an only child, so I had a lot of free time. Um, and she, she introduced me to concepts of feminism and like she in, in theater would push boundaries in ways that the small town otherwise probably wouldn't have. Um, so that, was on a, it was on a smaller scale, but it gave me the inkling that that was cool. Uh, my dad was really helpful in just teaching me to be resourceful, which is, I think, um, super critical for a teacher to do is not necessarily to teach you the data, but to teach you how to go find it. So, so I'm a little kid and I'll be like, dad, I can't reach that thing. He'd be like, well, what would a monkey do? And then I'm like, well, I guess they'd climb up there <laughs> or like they would use something to knock it down, whatever. Um, or like, dad, what's this word mean? He's like, how do you find that out? Go to the dictionary. Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Go look it up. And like, that's a, that sort of thing. So my, my perspective is very much shaped by this idea that, um, I can find out anything. I can do anything. There aren't limitations. I don't need, I don't need somebody else to serve it up to me. 
and that um, there is a lot of cool stuff out there and you should go find out about it. Um, there's, there's not enough life to know about all the things. So just do the best you can to like, see what else is out there. And, um, again, I was, uh, a, a weird kid and that was actually a great blessing to be, to be a queer kid in a space where that's not okay is, is hard in some ways, but it's also a tremendous, tremendous gift because, uh, I realized I'm never going to fit in, so I'm not going to try. And, um, then when I would catch glimpses of someone who was doing a life that felt more my speed, I'd be like, yes. And then go chase that. And this is kind of a a silly thing to say, but just seeing like Angelina Jolie (laughs) and Gia and just being like, yep, yep, yep. That's way more interesting to me (laughs) than what anybody in this town is doing, uh, who's an adult. So, um, just seeing what artists do and seeing what, uh, small, small production films would introduce me to and, um, stories and books and just like, I don't know, just the basic sort of ways that we find out about the rest of the world. And, um, I attribute a lot of it to being a bored only child. <laughs> so as a, another only child, uh, I, I completely, uh, your experience is, uh, is not foreign to me. I totally get it. You, you have to kind of find ways to entertain yourself and all that sort of good stuff. Let me ask you this. You're, you're super passionate about all of the things that you do. Like I, I've never heard you talk lackluster about anything. Like you're never, you're never lukewarm in my experience of you and you're a resourceful person. You find information, you've accomplished a lot in your life. You're super insightful about things. One of the reasons why you have on the show, but is there anything that you wish you could go back in your life? Like a lesson that you wish you could have learned earlier in your life that you think could have even springboarded you further along than you are now? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, like all the time, constantly. <laughs> um, I am far from thinking that I've done things correctly. Uh, in fact, I'm usually awful at things the first time I try them. Um, but one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm in this, um, I'm producing a show called the Philadelphia Burlesque Battle Royale. It's the fifth season. This is my first season being involved, but it's been around for a while. And our role is curating a cast of contestants who ultimately there's going to be one winner, but uh, what we're doing is trying to make them better as performers. And we're turning it into sort of a a graduate school in tease. And um, one of the things that I'm having to do now is synthesize my, my job as an educator and my experience as a burlesker to be useful to others. And it's really, really hard to, uh, get better if no one gives you anything constructive and specific and in performance, especially it's really, really easy to coast for a long time. If you find something that's comfortable and works, you find a formula, um, that is successful and people praise you for it. And then you stick with it because it's very comfortable And then, then I, I mean, for me, I didn't get better for a long time. It wasn't until I was in one of those contests myself where I had to come up with a brand new act every single week and be judged on it and compared to 12 other people that I finally got any better. And when I started having weekly shows as a performer that I finally got any better Uh, up to that point, it had been, I don't know, like mediocre. and. I, I'm lucky that I did that at a time when the scene wasn't super huge. And so not a ton of people saw me suck, (laughs) but I wish that, um, 
I wish I'd picked up on that faster, I guess. And I wish that I felt more confident in myself to ask for those learning opportunities to go to somebody and be like, what do I suck at? How can I be better to find a mentor, to find a critic? I wish I had felt confident enough that I could handle that critique. And that that's a totally separate issue is just feeling comfortable enough in your skin that you can hear you're good, but you could be better. And, uh, that's, that's true for everything. And, and it, and it goes into sexuality a lot. I talk about this with people a lot because, when they get into long-term relationships, they find like a a sexual technique that this is definitely going to work. This has worked every time. So that's all that person ends up doing. And this is a very, very common thing. And then we end up in ruts. And so I guess the overall thing is that getting out of comfort zones, not stepping all the way into the panic zone, but into that middle space where all the growth happens. And I just wish, uh, I wish I had I had felt confident enough to do that earlier in a lot of different facets of my life. Got it. So more confidence, more willingness to make mistakes, more willingness to ask for help and find mentors. I think that's a, yeah. that's a classic only child thing, I think. So, <laughs> so that's some, those are some things that you would go back and tell yourself. So coming out of that, turning it around and now looking forward and thinking about the people that are listening to the show. What's, what's maybe one thing that you think everybody listening to this episode should go do today, right now, that could go out and change their life for the better, whether it's how they interact with people, whether it's maybe how they use technology, or maybe it's just something in their life that'll make them feel happier. What's, you, you are known for giving advice and having counsel and a lot of insight to things. What is someone that's listening to this, what should they go do today? 100%. It's, it's about what I was just mentioning, that finding that space that is outside your comfort zone, but not all the way into the panic zone. There's a, there's a group that I, I'm involved in, and it's an online group, and it's called 30 Days of Adventure, and it happens every June. And the idea is that we're all accountable to each other and we're all sharing with each other. For uh, every single day, for 30 days, you do something that is different than what you normally do. And for some people, that'll be um, as small as, I've never tried to make any food with these ingredients before. Or it'll be, I took a totally different route home from work today. Or it could be something huge like, uh, I'm, I'm going to go take this type of class in this other city. I'm going to go check out this type of performance I've never seen before. Um, it could be as small or as big as you have the opportunity and the willingness to do, but it is only through those kind of new inputs, that new data that gives you a greater context about the world and and about who you are and who you want to be in it. So, um, all the learning happens when we are outside of that, like zombified, everything is under control. This is my routine. Um, and I would challenge everybody to just find one opportunity every day to do something outside of that routine. And just maybe nothing will happen. <laughs> maybe absolutely not. Maybe you'll hate it. And then you'll be like renewed in your appreciation for your life. Or maybe you'll be like, why didn't I do this earlier? But you won't know until you do it. So today is the day, listeners. Go out and do something that is different from what you did yesterday. Try something on. Make today your day of adventure. So, Timory, it's uh, time for us to do some rapid-fire questions. Are you ready for them? Oh, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, you said that you're an Android user. Uh, what are the apps that are in the dock of your phone, so that bottom area right by your thumb? Oh, God. I don't know. Um, 
Can I go look at my phone? Yeah, of course you can. Okay, hold on a sec. <laughs> I was ill prepared for this question. <laughs> Sorry, I did not prepare you. That's my bad. Okay. Let's see. I got my, my phone, uh, my text, uh, a browser, and my camera. Okay. So those are the standard ones. I don't think you changed them. That no, is probably one of the more interesting things about this show so far is how few people actually change the icons in their dock. I'm obsessive about what's in there. Um, yeah. All right. So what's one application, mobile, desktop, or web that you just can't live without because it makes such an impact in your life? I hate I hate that this is the answer, but Facebook. Okay. Totally reasonable. I and I, I think I think then that this next question is going to be uh, probably pretty easy for you. But all social media sites are going to be deleted tomorrow. And I anoint you, Timory, Queen B, to be able to choose one that survives forevermore. Which one is it? Oh, God. Um, I really like Facebook. I just want to be in charge of it. Or I want, like, at least a benevolent group of uh diverse humans to be in charge of the process, not a terrible corporation that thinks nipples are evil if they're on women. So I, I still think it's, it's the most useful. Uh, it's just run horribly. So Facebook. Okay. Fair. Uh, what's one book that every business person should read? Oh God. Um, ah. <laughs> Come on, you, keep in mind. Big o. <laughs> so let me, let me back up. Business people are people. So yeah. you can you can say anything you want here. It doesn't have to be a business okay. book, just to clarify. Okay. The Missing Piece Meets the Big O by Shel Silverstein. The Missing Piece Meets the Big O by Shel Silverstein. Perfect. All right, Timory, this final question is my favorite. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Shapeshifting. Like being able to like just look like other people? It's the most useful. Like Mystique style? It's, it- it functions. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mystique is the, is the impetus there. Um, it functions as so many other superpowers. Like if I, it, I can have access to places. Um, it, it, you can get information that you couldn't get otherwise. Like it just seems so functional to me. And your role-playing course would be the shit. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> also right. the, I mean, like I wouldn't have to buy costumes. <laughs> totally true. You could just be like whatever you want. My skin. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> All right, good answer. So you've been nice enough to come onto the show and set aside a bunch of your time. Uh, let me pick at you and and ask you some tough questions. So I want to give you a chance right now to just talk about anything you want and promote anything that you're working on. Let people know where they can go and find you, how they can support you, how they can keep up with you. Anything that you want to talk about, I'm handing the show over to you right now just to promote whatever you feel like. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So on the, on the Matt Murdoch side with sexuality education, the, the, everything is around the sex with Timory brand. So that's the podcast. I've got a Facebook community. It's like 21, 22,000 people. Um, and the website sex with Timory. And I put up, I put up porn on Mondays, so you should like it and then be careful about when you open it, I guess. Um, (laughs) and then on the, on the burlesque side, uh, burlesque, adelphia.com so it's the word burlesque and then adelphia like philadelphia.com and that is uh i've created a calendar for all the events in the community so you can see how many shows there are and you can check out um you know there's there's quizzo and burlesque there's burlesque that's like male bodies and a diversity of male bodies in fact there's um there's just so many shows that are like based around a specific nerd thing so this weekend there's one that's like miyazaki burlesque there's one that's it's always sunny in philadelphia burlesque so um burlesque and on facebook and you can just see all the crazy awesomeness that people are doing 
That is freaking awesome. Well, Timory, this has been an absolute blast as I thought it would be. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So everybody out there that's listening, please share this episode because in case you didn't catch it, the name of the show is Shareable. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you believe the guests that we get? I can actually. I schedule them. Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next? Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes. Definitely go check us out on iTunes. And when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review, and then what's that one last thing we want them to do? I don't know. Share the episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's in the name. So... Please share this episode, tell everyone you know, and we'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Bye.